Hey there, you're listening to Virago Pod, a podcast that is dedicated to empowering and improving the physical and mental health of female athletes everywhere. This podcast is brought to you by The Virago Project, a nonprofit organization that helps female athletes balance sports with life. I'm your host, Emily McGee-Zeslowski. And I'm your co-host, Taylor Tracy. Let's jump right into the episode. and welcome to episode four of Virago Pod. First, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for everyone. We have seen your reviews, we have seen your shares, we have seen your, your likes and comments on our social media pages about the launch of our podcast. And thank you. This was a long time coming and we are so excited to share the first three podcasts with episodes with you last week. Yes, Emily could have not said it any better. You are so right. This has been in the works for months now. So the fact that it's out there and let me tell you guys, like Emily is the editor. She is the person who recruits all of the podcast interviewees, except for this one today. Um, but yeah, I just want to give you a shout out, Emily, because- oh, Thank you, Taylor. That's nice of you. It's a nice duo getting to talk about things that we're both passionate about and, you know, Everyone seems so excited to be on it and, and spread the message. So honestly, it's it's really easy when it's such a big need out there to have these conversations. Okay, so today we have a brand new podcast guest, Georgie Buckley, who is an expert in nutrition and body image and feminist theory. And she explains all of these through an athletic lens here today in our interview. Uh, you may notice that we have an extra co-host today, and that voice is the voice of Sarah Lipson, who is now a member of our advisory committee. Sarah has a background in women and gender studies. She's super passionate about women athletes, um, and she is going to take the lead in this interview. I'm actually not even in it at all. Sarah, Georgie, and Emily will be the voices that you hear today. So I've listened to this podcast, this episode of this podcast. I know that it's going to be great. You're going to love it. If you have any questions about body image, transitioning out of athletics and um, having questions about your body, this is the episode to listen to. Yeah. And I was really excited, especially the timing's perfect with Thanksgiving around the corner. You know, it can be a really tough mm -hmm. holiday for a lot of um, current and former athletes, even if, um, even if you're struggling with food, you know, it's, it's not always linear. So I think this is a yeah. great conversation to have this week. And, and I'm really excited for all of our listeners, listeners to hear. Yeah, definitely. This is so good. You're right, Emily. Perfect timing. Um, okay. Well, yeah, it was a great podcast and I hope you all enjoy. Let's get into it. All right. Hello, everyone. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, I am Emily. I am one of the hosts here of the Farago Pod. And can we all just get a brief introduction? Because I know this is like the first time we're all officially, quote unquote, meeting here. So, um, Sarah, let's start with you. Sure. I'm Sarah. It's nice to be here with all you guys. I'm on advisory committee for the Virago Project, and I'm a former college athlete. And I'm really interested in everything from mental health, to feminist science, and I'm really excited to continue doing that work in this field. All right, perfect. And tell our listeners a little bit of how you picked this week's podcast guest for us. Sure. So I actually know this week's podcast guest personally. Georgie and I actually met when I was doing research in Australia, and we both run a bit in the same circles, um, eating disorders, athletes, body image, things like that. And we just really hit it off and I wanted to get her take on everything that she's doing right now. That's great. And Georgie, um, I guess we'll, we'll get into the meat of the interview a little bit, but, but how's it going? How's, how's life? Tell, let's tell people where you're recording from today and a little bit about your um, general background. Okay, awesome. So my name is Georgie Buckley and I'm based in Melbourne, Australia, hence the accent. Um, <laughs> so different time zone today and I am a former distance runner um, and I practice as a dietitian and I'm in my final six months of my PhD as well so juggle a few balls there and my PhD is looking at disordered eating in athletes both current and former and I've been doing lots of work around like athletes transitioning and what that's been looking like in COVID particularly 
Um, and clinically, when I, I see clients, I work with eating disorders as well. So really heavily involved in the eating disorder body image space. And yeah, it brings sport always into that. Wow, I can't believe you're so close to the end of your PhD. That's, <laughs> wow, it feels like time flies and that's a lot to balance right now. I know. I finished my data analysis last week and it felt like it was months away. And so it's all it's all just hit me and now, oh, okay, now I'll start applying for jobs, I guess. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd love to hear a little bit more, and I think our listeners would, a little bit more about kind of the distance runner background you mentioned and how you think that led into your current work? Yeah. So I began distance running quite young, I think when I was about 10 years old. And I think, you know, in Australia, we do athletics and cross country or track and field and cross country at school. And, you know, I seem to have a bit of a, a natural talent for that and got into it and started training. And it all kind of escalated in that way that, Mm -hmm. um, I became quite mentally elite quite quickly. And so I competed all through, um, we just have primary school to high school rather than, I guess, the equivalent of middle school. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> so competed till I was 18 and took it very, very seriously. And I think, you know, having that lived experience where I was a distance runner, where there's very strong, nuanced body ideals, mm -hmm. always pressured around you and going through that during puberty has been such an interesting time to reflect back on and how that's really it shaped very strong beliefs for me about like my body and what I thought that it was mm -hmm. and I what I thought my body was meant to be used for essentially is performance and that mm -hmm. it was to be controlled for performance um, and I went to university and did my undergraduate in Melbourne and then I came back to athletics or track and field and, and started training quite intensely again and, um, you know, amongst a group of Olympic and world champion level athletes. Mm -hmm. So it was very much that elite athlete mindset and competing at a top national level again. So I kind of just fell back into it. And it was interesting for me having that break to do my undergraduate degree and not competing that the way that I perceived my body and those related eating behaviours that I had just completely fell back into place. And I can now look back on that and say that, you know, there was an eating disorder, lots of disordered eating going on for me in both of mm -hmm. those two phases. Um, and it was so mediated for me by my sport. It was almost like this mm -hmm. switch on, switch off kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so since then I've, I've retired over the last five years and that's been a whole different journey in itself in terms of um, it's really the first time that my, you know, my body has actually just been allowed to rest and it's been allowed mm -hmm. to find the natural physique that my genetics determine. And that's been such an interesting process of acceptance and a lot of these things really tie into where I'm passionate about with my research because a lot of it doesn't exist in the literature so far. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing I guess that one question that popped up for me is, you're right, this conversation doesn't happen. And when it starts happening, it usually starts happening around, you know, when when athletes get a little bit older, you know, say college age, young adult, and that's when I started having these conversations. That's when I started noticing these things. And, but I mean, like you said, in your story, and I think most athlete stories, this starts so young. Mm. And I guess I wonder kind of what, what are your thoughts on that, especially as a, as a clinician and I don't know, just for ways to kind of think about how this begins and why there's such a, a lag, I guess, in the recognition mm. of this culture. Yeah, absolutely. And it feels, you know, going through primary school and high school and you do kind of sex ed and you're learning about how your body's going to change. Mm -hmm. And I just remember sitting in these classes thinking I was special and that my body wasn't going to do this because I was an athlete or mm -hmm. the way that I'd had coaches sort of speak about a woman's, you know, a young woman's body, there was all these messages I internalised just and they, I think when you're young 
and something shocks you, like a message shocks you, it almost sets like concrete in your mind. Mm -hmm. This is fact, Mm -hmm. this is forever, this is how I perceive my body now. And I remember not just one coach but multiple coaches saying, you know, like when girls go through their first period, their menarche, that, you know, they run terribly for two years. And this was just, it was a very binary like two years then they can be okay if they survive that, but heaps of them drop out of the sport. And it felt like becoming a woman was this awful thing. And Mm -hmm. I just remember this ominous, like, (laughs) future that I was like, what is this woman thing? That sounds awful. Like, (laughs) I want to be a child forever. And I think in track and field, like, that body ideal that is so Mm -hmm. worshipped is, it's, it's, it's gendered in so many ways that mm-hmm. almost this this body ideal for women distance runners is that of a pre-pubescent boy. Mm-hmm. And so it, we're told to sort of conform to these, these body shapes, which are just very, like, and for some people they have smaller physiques, but I know for me, and I can reflect on this only now, it was it was such a battle and I had no idea what I was really battling. Mm-hmm. I think I love that the research coming out in terms of women's physiology and sport is starting to always like take that positive lens where it's it's mm-hmm. harnessing like well, how we can really work with the women's physiology and harness those as strengths rather than right. just looking at the men's literature and saying, oh, well, we've got it confusing hormones here so that won't work and will never be as good so I just can't wait to see what the future holds with that in translating that that research and actually just making it about us finally (laughs) (laughs) that's a a great way to put it since we're talking a little bit about body image as somewhat of the focus of this podcast that's another way that I I think about it you know we have this one idea of what Mm. an athletic body looks like and Mm. you know we have them a general athletic body there's the ideal body within certain sports and it was really great Mm. for me when I transitioned into rugby and not to say that there aren't still you know body ideals in rugby but (laughs) it it for me coming from a background in gymnastics and soccer and diving felt like there was a lot more variation variability appreciation really for different Mm. body types and you know everyone contributes equally to a team everyone's body contributes equally and they were all good Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, I'm really feeling that with the distance running background. I started, I actually started rugby last week, and <gasps> you did. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, so very basic skills at the moment, and I this I love this about sport that I feel like if you've done sport before, this is a privilege of being on the inside of sport. Is I feel like I have transferable skills across mm-hmm. the board. <laughs> Um, And I I do love those aspects of sport where just bodies are celebrated for the movement that they do. And I think when body image and sport are concerned, it's really complicated because the general population literature really looks at how movement can enhance body image through Mm -hmm. focusing on that function and what the body can do and how powerful it is. And then in sport, it's almost like that part of it is completely taken for granted and we just have that like more, 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 better, better, better kind of mindset. And there's not that time to appreciate the function. It's just that the body is never quite good enough. It's always pushing for something better. Um, So the research I've been doing around body image and I've just developed a tool um, that combines both food and body looking at disordered eating it's been really interesting to see that there's been a really, really big difference in current and former athletes between what is body control and what is body dissatisfaction. So body control being like when people want to, you know, they exercise more to um, because they're worried about the food that they've had or, you know, they won't eat as much because they haven't exercised or different things like that that, 
you know, focus on controlling the body, keeping it as it is or changing it to be something different. Whereas body dissatisfaction, you're not necessarily doing anything about it. You're just having those cognitions and thoughts that your body isn't good enough or that you're comparing people to, you're comparing to other bodies on the start line. You know, I think body image often gets kind of thrown into the ring as this like, love your body and you'll be fine Mm -hmm. when it's a really really nuanced topic and I think we're finding oh gosh we have so much to go in terms of the (laughs) athlete world like we just know basically nothing so having these conversations where we actually tease out like what is this what is body image how do we feel about our bodies in all the different ways and then I think, you know, always that first stage is just acknowledging and noticing what's going on for us. And from then, that's when we have the ability to sort of challenge beliefs or do something about it or or really like dive into that eating disorder prevention space. Mm -hmm. Um, And I often find with sport, you know, with sport, I think eating disorders are so stigmatized because my experience is that nothing's done about it until it's in crisis mode. Mm -hmm. And so we have such little idea around what disordered eating is, even though it exists on a spectrum or a continuum. So we're all placed on that continuum and we're always moving up and down slightly. And so if we have these conversations around body image and the way that we feel about our bodies and the way, you know, the pressure that we feel from certain comments and putting that autonomy back into athletes to have conversations with girls and women that participate in sport, how does, you know, your coach said this thing about your body, how does that make you feel today, right. next week, a month down the track? That's mm-hmm. when we can really effectively start to have more of that preventative role Mm -hmm. because we can sort of stamp out those culturally normalised things to say, "Mm, actually, it's not okay for a coach to say you're looking fit on the basis of no fitness components. (laughs) (laughs) My, like, least favourite comment ever. (laughs) Yeah. Saying, like, can we do this? Who who do you recommend we... Are you talking about teammates? Are you talking about coaches? Like, like... Doctors, who, who do you think should be having this conversation? Everyone, absolutely yeah. everyone. But I think well, for a start, people listening to this podcast, I think you can always start with yourself. There's always such a journey of unlearning to go in sport that can be really harnessed into a strength. They've seen it in elite athletes who are at the top of their game who've done these things. So it's not like it's this anti-performance kind of thing as well. I think often people like, Mm, I don't know about that. I think my performance will drop. Actually, your Mm -hmm. performance can improve and you can have the best of both worlds in that way. Um, So, yeah, when I say we, I think we can start with ourselves and just not necessarily and notice the what influences us around us. So empowering ourselves to know that when a coach makes a comment, we are in control of our body. No one owns our body except for us. And our body is only for ourselves. That is it. No questions asked. And we can create boundaries around those comments. So if a coach says you're looking fit, it, it might be a really it might be really hard to do that at the start, but to actually, you know, have those boundaries and say, hey coach, this makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Would you prefer, uh, I would prefer if you focused on, you know, my, the function of my body and saying like, wow, that rep was really great or your skills are improving rather than commenting on those like aesthetic kind of things. So I, I think this is what I wish I'd known as a junior athlete is. Yeah, I mean, Georgia, I think that's great advice. It really does, or it really can start with the individual with, I mean, for example, I actually, I don't think I ever attended maybe after the first one, my team's nutrition talk, because I went once and it was, well, somewhat problematic in my opinion, Mm. um, to say the least. And so I just, I said to my coach, I don't feel comfortable here and I'm, you know, I'm going to skip out on this one. And of course, you know, I was privileged to have a good relationship with my coach and Mm. different circumstances change it. But I think it was a new a new experience for me to feel like I could really 
take ownership around what mm. I what I took in or what information I took in. But what advice would you give or what are your thoughts on how to kind of improve this culture and this language when it comes from teammates? Mm. I love that you had that moment of of power that you were able to <laughs> actually create those boundaries. I think that's such a great mm -hmm example and yeah just because you're getting nutrition information it doesn't it doesn't mean it sits well with you and everyone's so different speaking more to teammates like when we when we talk about culture like we can have culture in our own mind we can have culture with our friends we can have culture family you know every social relationship that we have we create this sort of mini culture so mm -hmm. i think teammates have this incredible power to be this real backing where we have this team of powerful women supporting each other and creating something where you know we're egging each other on and we are collectively improving and getting better and becoming stronger and I think that's such a an amazing way that teammates can be and I again I love that about sport they're some of my most positive memories um, of my engagement with sport and there's some new research around I guess how disordered eating prevention can really happen within teammates, irrespective of what's going on around in the other little cultures in your life. And I think on the other side of that though, like teammates can just be so influential. And when there's lots of body chat or there's food chat about what you're, you know, there might be someone saying that they're cutting this out or they've gone keto or they're going low carb or mm -hmm. whatever they're doing, you know, that spreads like wildfire. And yeah. it just, whether you might be sitting there going, oh, that's not for me one day. And then the next week it might be like, oh, maybe I'll try this. And it just, mm -hmm. and that's how cultures work, that slowly over time something becomes normal, especially with like NCAA teams that's where we see a lot of that eating disorder development amongst a team um so i think what we can create you know beyond even beyond coaches and calling out coaches is is focusing on not our body composition so there's sort of two parts to this is the body part and there's the food part and what we can do practically is notice those comments that we we want to make about our own bodies it's sort of like as women sometimes we have these collective experiences where we put ourselves down and we bond over that whereas let's frame that in a way that we're bonding over the strength and power that we can harness in our bodies rather than mm, i'm uncomfortable about the way that my thighs look or my tummy is not good enough or you know these kind of things that i think are really easy to combined forces together I think it's reframing that conversation and and when a teammate is talking about their body in that way it is noticing that and being a source of listening and support to say hey it sounds like you're a little bit uncomfortable with your body at the moment like would you like to talk about it mm -hmm. um and just and what that does is it, it changes the conversation so that someone talking about their body in a norm like a negative way rather than going down one pathway and it becoming normal, mm -hmm. it just mm -hmm. stops that trajectory there. And it, it it means that, no, 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 this is something that people can struggle with. Let's hold space for this. Let's like change this trajectory and let's stop it in its tracks. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the same goes for food as well. Mm -hmm. I think as athletes, when we think about the function of food and what it what what purpose it serves in our life it's mm -hmm. often with this almost like one dimensional thing where food is a thing that can make and break our body composition <laughs> and yeah i guess it fuels our performance that's kind of it in sport <laughs> like and i feel like we we've transitioned that that conversation that like oh let's focus on fueling and yeah food is great like it's going to fuel us it's our petrol but Again, like we're not cars, um, food has a hundred million functions. And so I think thinking more broadly around what food is to us is mm -hmm. going out for a great meal at an amazing restaurant is going to provide so much. And I think we've all started to appreciate this in COVID particularly, yeah. like 
what a privilege going to a restaurant is and enjoying food with friends. That has nothing to do with fuel. It has nothing to do with our body composition. And whether you're an athlete or not, that function of food is just so integral to what food is. Mm -hmm. Chocolate is going to give you a really different experience to eating a carrot. And they're not yeah. the same thing and you can't make substitutes. Like <laughs> sweet potato brownies are not chocolate brownies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they might taste great. That's good. No one's disputing that they taste good. I hope that you're not eating things that taste awful. That's not a good thing. But it's not going to be the same thing. It's not going to give you the mm -hmm. same pleasure. And pleasure for women is one of the most powerful feminist radical acts that we can do is experience pleasure because the patriarchy says that no pleasure is not for us you know we should we should be silent we should be you know food is fuel that's it nothing more than that food is pleasure food is enjoyment food is socializing food is energy it's so many things so creating those little pockets of joy enjoyment and pleasure amongst your team and creating those great food environments is everything, like celebrating birthdays with cake or, you know, having popcorn because you're watching movies. Like, I think it's really, it's really easy to forget about that as an athlete when you have such um, striving focuses, you know, and this is, goes for everyone. Your body is worth so much more than just your body composition. There is a life after sport and it will include enjoyment of food. So I'd actually like to pivot slightly and, and keep on a little bit this track of kind of, you know, feminist research, work, theory, et cetera, and discuss a little bit about some of your other research on the objectification of women in sport. And can you just start off by telling us a little bit about it? Mm -hmm. So this is juicy. Um, <laughs> I started off my PhD studying male athletes, <laughs> interesting, um, and I was, I was doing qualitative because we need more research in male athletes. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I was doing qualitative interviews with distance runners about their relationship with food and body, and I, I, was, really ex I was really interested in looking at the culture from that point of view. I was curious. I'd... I'd done a lot of reflection on my own experience in distance running. I wanted to know what it was like for male athletes, if it, there were similarities, there was overlap, you know, how it looked different so I could expand my knowledge mm -hmm. of what disordered eating is and, and how it manifests in a culture. So wrote this beautiful paper, um, disordered eating, you know, in male athletes, blah, 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 and was going through mm -hmm. all the interviews, going through them again. Wait a minute hold up um they're talking about women a lot but when <laughs> we, <laughs> and it was a really interesting moment because once I noticed it I just that's all I could see and so I went through and just sort of noted like all these quotes and and the way that the you know even the language that they were using mm -hmm. and I was thinking okay I think I've got a paper here um quite interested in feminist theory Let's build on that. I'll just build a new skill. And this is what I, I love about, I guess, Australian PhDs. You've got all the flexibility in the world to just completely change what you're doing. So what I did was I went through these interviews with male athletes and with a feminist theory, like critical perspective, and went through and just sort of looked at how they spoke about women and their bodies. So interesting. Mm -hmm. So for one this thing that really stood out to me and it's made me think about the language that we use a lot is that when they were referring to what they were intentioning was women, they were actually referring to them as girls. So when they were talking about gender, they were referring to these women as girls, I think it was nearly 80% of the time. Wow. And every time they referred to a woman as girl or girls, and then they compared to men, they said men, guys, blokes, lads, whatever, every word under the sun, but never boys, which is essentially okay. the equivalent of girls. And it was really interesting to dive into that with the help of Sarah, with her feminist theory background, <laughs> and actually explore that's a real agent of power there. Mm -hmm. So what that is is infantilization. So when someone 
you know, talks down to someone as if they're a child. So girl, woman, girl being, you know, the child version of woman in terms of gender. And so when a man talks about a woman and says girl, there's this really nuanced, subtle kind of power imbalance going on here. And I just thought that that was fascinating to compare the language they were using in a culture that I've been a part of for 15 years, that I've been in it, I've been around these men for a really long time, I knew some of the participants, and to have this watershed moment of I have never noticed this ever. And to actually have that moment of like, wow, what that represents is these very subtle power imbalances always that exist amongst us. And so a little bit more on, I guess, the research that I looked at that when they were talking about women's bodies as well, and these are women athletes, they were framing them in a way where, you know, women aren't meant to be athletes. They're meant to, you know, reproduce and make babies. And there was all these kind of comments that just made me stop in my tracks. And even just um, the, there was this perception that, like, women athletes do it for Instagram and they do it for followers mm. and they're more concerned about how they look than their performance. And they these athletes, I think, sort of went to town with me talking about these things really candidly. I was just quietly observing, like, interesting keep going keep going and um I think what it does is it really it it feels in so much of this like silent manifesting things that exist in sporting cultures and I'm sure every single culture is very very different but looking at this distance running culture the disparity between genders and looking down at women what you know what that actually means those implications there of what that means when that athlete grows up and becomes a coach and coaches women and girls you know the language that they use and the way that they perceive their bodies like that reproductive function as something that gets in the way of their athletic performance and that they're more worried about what they look and they don't really care about their performance and i think it's such an interesting thing um to to look critically at those cultures and there was a lot of themes as well of objectification theory which Mm -hmm. is essentially i guess in 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 short it's when as a woman you start i guess like the the practical implications of that is when as a woman you start experiencing your body almost outside of your body so when you're Mm -hmm. so you know you might be self-conscious wearing your sporting uniform you're imagining what other people are thinking of you or you're imagining what a photo might look like of your body in that moment or mm-hmm. so you're you're starting to think of your body in an outside way that it's for other people and so that was kind of the the crux of looking at these interviews is there was so much objectification going on of women's bodies and what we know with the objectification and when women start to perceive their bodies in that outside lens as an observer, as an object, that's when disordered eating is really easy to happen. Mm -hmm. And this was almost this light bulb moment for me, um, putting together those pieces. I know with eating disorders, we always say to people, eating disorders are not your fault. They never have been Mm -hmm. your fault. This is part Mm -hmm. of the culture. This is like, you know, this, and this for me looking at sports specifically and really really seeing like eating disorders are not women athletes fault and just repeating that repeat that times a hundred that it is not your fault we exist in these cultures that change our beliefs and just shape the way that we think about things and it's big we can't we can't underestimate like how much influence these comments, you think about it, I've been in this sport for 15 years, those comments constantly subliminally going through your brain. And I mean, you use so many words that that I think are really important to consider and that aren't always used in these discussions, like infantilization. I mean, you talked about calling women athletes girls, but we can also consider, again, the body ideals. feeling this constant, constant pressure to essentially infantilize ourselves, to make ourselves Mm -hmm. smaller, to make Mm -hmm. ourselves more obedient on the field, to make ourselves, you know, this, this perfect little, little 
girl who kind of (laughs) cedes to the coach's advice is is something that I don't think is discussed as much and yeah absolutely and I think coming back to body image as well is that this is why you know body image is is so much more than an Instagram post Mm -hmm. saying just love your body and I what you were saying just then Sarah as well about you know making yourself small and and making you know infantilizing yourself or doing that in in amongst that culture I remember this I as a junior athlete I was always told I was very coachable and Mm -hmm. that makes me it's just such a common thing to say I just heard it all the time I was very coachable you know one of those Mm -hmm. friendly lovely people never caused drama never pushed back kind of thing and it's so interesting to reflect on now this male coach Mm -hmm. telling me I was very coachable what that's Mm -hmm. code for is like obedience I yeah. I never had my own opinions, my own my own thoughts. I just I did what they said. And when this co- this particular coach as well, what they meant by very coachable was, you know, once they told me to lose a significant um, amount of weight, and I did it. And they're the kind of mm-hmm. things that make you a quote unquote coachable athlete. Um, mm-hmm. So when we we start to you know being coachable, being friendly, being nice. It's, necessarily a good thing when we're like badass women athletes we want to we want to have our own um autonomy in that space so yeah you can seem very passionate about these things and I think the future is really exciting you guys both mentioned that on your new rugby teams um like you had this type of celebration and, and you kind of alluded to maybe it's a rugby thing what do you both think that our takeaways from this happiness and camaraderie and, you know, everyone's on board that, that you can take away. Mm -hmm. So kind of recognizing that there are different skills that people can bring to the table, which might mean different bodies as well. And that kind of necessitates more of an understanding that what someone looks like doesn't exactly, well, doesn't at all, you know, tell you about their athletic ability. And that, that's one part, and that's, I think, a big part that's easy to see. Another part, which is a little bit more nebulous, a little bit sillier in a way, is we'd go into the locker room and everyone has different you know, comfort levels and everything, but frankly, people would be walking around naked. <laughs> and of course, you know, there are a lot of things that go into it and um, that it, it can negatively affect some people, but there's just there just seemed to be more of a sense of comfort with the physical body. Everyone has different bodies and everyone's body looks slightly different. And we're going to, you know, let it all hang out and still talk to each other. Like nothing's going on because nothing is. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is kind of seems like the majority was comfortable in their body instead of maybe, and the voice is based around comfort instead of the voice you know, that internal monologue and the the locker, you know, for lack of better, the locker room talk is based on comfort and confidence instead of based mm-hmm. on insecurities or necessarily pointing out each other's like, or their self's flaws, you know, right? It's like just this, just different culture that then spread. Mm. Georgie, what about you? Yeah, I'd love to just see women's sport being reframed in a way that it's a celebration of what our bodies can do. Um, and in terms of sport, I think that we often perceive it as this, it's this thing that you know, people can get to superhuman levels and we make these athletes robotic in our mind. And the fundamental point is like, uh, you know, we've got our bodies for life. It's not just this short athletic career and that's it. So our body, our, this is my favourite, I almost tear up and I sort of think about it in this way is your body is your home. My body is my home. Say that a thousand times over. My body is my home. My body is my own. It is only for me. And knowing that you are, what a gift, what a privilege it is to participate in sport as a celebration of what your body can do. And knowing that with that, Mm -hmm. you can create the team that you want. So just bringing that power, that control, that focus back to, well, you know, I might not have the coaching situation I've got right now might not be ideal. The teammates I have might not be ideal. How can I create a sports team 
And this is where people can get creative. And I come from an individual sport background where um, to create a team, that means having friends that ground you in that way. So taking that focus, that sting out of, well, my body needs to be like this. And, and I think being able to be vulnerable with those friends to say, this sport is making me feel this way. I just really love an outsider's um, perspective. And I know that for me in sport, friends who don't do sport are some of the most grounding people because they're kind of like, what? That's ridiculous. And also like, Georgie used to compete in crop tops mm-hmm. and briefs. Like, that's wild. That's really unusual. Of course you're going to feel awful about your body. I'm here for you. Talk to me. And just sort of taking yourself out of those cultures, you know, those little micro cultures that create those beliefs, I think is where we can ground ourselves and give us back that power. Your body is your own and your body is your home. So look after it. <laughs> in America, uh Thanksgiving is a very topical um, and can be a trigger for people that have even no, just like more the disorder, not even controlling. It can be a very triggering time where they're feeling like they can't um, indulge, really enjoy it, or that they're overthinking and maybe feeling not so great about themselves in the weeks after Thanksgiving and the holidays in general. So what advice do you have um, for anyone eating who or even attending a Thanksgiving with a family member that might have these triggers, like how to get through this this holiday time. Mm, that's such a great one. And I think especially with Christmas and, and lots of different things coming up, it's not like you get over it and then it's you got another one a few weeks later. So yeah. I yeah, I just want to acknowledge everyone listening being somewhere on that spectrum from you know having a positive relationship with food where you don't it's not a thought so there might be people listening right now thinking "Hmm, what is she talking about like why would I have an issue with like Thanksgiving that's that's interesting and then on the other side where it really is that really it's it's stressful it's just it's part of your mental load it's just ticking away and the tabs open on your brain um and just to acknowledge and ground where you are is okay nothing is wrong with where you're at and knowing that that build up might be it might look different so today you might be thinking it's going to be fine it's going to be great i'm going to eat all these foods it's going to be awesome and getting to that day and it's not that way at all or or maybe the reverse and just knowing like where you are in any given moment it's okay it's okay also repeat that a thousand times it's okay where you're at and just know the most empowered like the most powerful thing you can do you know whether you eat the food or you don't is just noticing where you're at and and giving yourself that permission to be wherever you need to be and just if if it's something that you're wanting to change if you're noticing that it's a problem if it's giving you stress knowing you don't need to solve those problems on that day. That's what gives it pressure when it's, I have to eat like everyone else. I have to do these things. And that's not going to happen overnight. Um, And I think a day like Thanksgiving is one of the best examples of food as pleasure. So when we come up to a day like that, Thanksgiving is not about fueling our car to be able to do those you know, those sessions that we're doing during the, the week or it's not it's not about controlling our body composition. It's purely about pleasure, socialising, being grateful for what we have, being around family and friends. And so when we're noticing that that time is uncomfortable, that's probably a good indication that the way that we perceive food at the moment isn't incorporating those other things that food can give. And it's not going to be solved on Thanksgiving. But if we're finding that we're struggling is noticing that if we can bring pleasure and enjoyment in tiny, tiny little ways, even mentally at the start, if we can just start thinking about it, get the ball rolling, that will maybe Thanksgiving next year will be different. And if we start framing food in that way, I think that's how, um, yeah, how we can get through. And I think, it, it can be really stressful, but yeah, I think it comes back to that pleasure aspect. So um, good luck and just know that wherever you are uh, in that space, it's it's just okay. It's fine to be where you are. I love that. That's great advice. 
Sarah, thank you for leading this conversation. And Georgie, this has been so informative, so helpful. If you had to leave, um, I know we covered a lot. I just want to give some solid takeaways for the end here. Um, if you could just send a, you know, a last message to any current or former sportswoman from the takeaway, um, what advice do you give? Mm, wherever you are in your journey, and this might have brought up some thoughts around where that is today. It might have challenged a few things. It might have brought attention to some things that you're struggling with. Just know that it's okay. You're doing a great job. You are an awesome person. It's fine to be where you are and just be kind to yourself in that way that you don't need to be, you don't need to fix yourself. No human body needs to be fixed. I think that's one of the most beautiful things that I've been told is like no one is broken and only broken things need to be fixed. And if we can just, you know, ground ourselves in creating that team, finding that pleasure, those things are so important and so underrated as a woman athlete. I agree tenfold. This is one of our most, uh, you know, difficult conversations to have on Virago Project and why we wanted to bring on Sarah to the advisory committee and, and why we wanted to have this conversation with you. And it's definitely not something that's just going to stop here at one podcast. It's going to, you know, keep being brought up. Research, uh, luckily, is being done in for women specifically in, in levels like it hasn't previously. Mm -hmm. So I, I just... Thank you so much, both of you, for bringing a light on this sensitive topic, because like you guys said, the stigma is unfortunately here. The stigma is a conversation mm -hmm. that's not easy to have um, for whatever reason. So, uh, well, for many, many very valid reasons, I guess. And that's part of the problem is that uh, that spectrum that mm -hmm. everyone falls on just because they're not at X level. They think it's not something that's necessarily an immediate need that needs to um, be taken care of. So. I'm really excited mm -hmm. for our listeners to hear this one today. Um, thank you so much, Georgie and Sarah. Uh, we'll we'll have a little blog article kind of summarizing this. And if um, if people have more questions, Georgie and Sarah both, uh, can we direct some users to you guys to to answer some questions? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I have yes, I have an Instagram. Um, we're happy to take any specific questions that you might have after this interview so if you just say I listen to the podcast blah 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 here's my question like I'm really happy to do that um to I can't provide individual advice but I can point you off in the right direction mm -hmm. um whether it's in the US or or elsewhere and there's there's um there's always support if you need it and that's part of creating that team so mm -hmm. if things are being brought up for you always seek support you don't have to be there's no such thing as being not sick enough or you know not being worried enough mm -hmm. it, often sometimes therapy is best done when you know life is going swell because you get to explore those really nuanced mm -hmm. parts so just know that if you've got access to that that's a really great thing to do always and forever i'm the biggest advocate of getting support um yeah, and that's basically mm -hmm. it. I've got a website link on my Instagram where where my research becomes available over the next year or so. Um, it'll all be popping up there. There's I've I wrote an article for former athletes, which is up there at the moment, which will be really interesting if you're transitioning out of sport. It's got some of those specifics. It's very academic, um, but if you can, I've tried to write it in a way that's not too academic so people can understand it and, and just, yeah, keep having conversations about this. Like this topic is so important. Yeah, and I think, you know, keeping these conversations going is really what's gonna start, you know, start the change. and. You know, if anyone wants to contact me, I'm at, I'm on Twitter at Sarah underscore Lipson, Sarah with an H and, you know, feel free to send me a message or anything like that. Hopefully you'll see a bit more of me um, around, whether on podcasts or blog articles or Instagram posts. So we will link both of you guys on our podcast bio description. So if you guys are listening and didn't catch that, just check mm -hmm. out our description. And if not us, talk to a therapist, talk to, um, family, loved ones, especially around these holidays, don't be afraid to reach out right now. Um, all right, guys, that is our episode for the day. Thank you, Georgie. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. This has been so fun. Of course. Yes, yeah. thank you. And yeah, I've had a great This time. will not be the last you hear from them, um, but thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you guys taking the time today.
Okay, and I know Taylor, you were in the background for that, so you heard how great of an episode that was. But yeah. I, I just love that. No matter, no matter where you are, and I, I love thinking of it more as a spectrum, as as not something that is, you know, someone may be worse, someone may be better, but how are you doing this specific day? And I think that's something really specific that you can take with us. And also, like looking back to my days as an athlete, I definitely wish I would have had that language of. It looks like you're uncomfortable with your eating right now. Would you like to talk about it? Because I love my teammates. I love my friends. I wish I I wish I would have spoken up more and not just been a bystander when I witnessed some of those behaviors by some of my teammates that you know I love so much and, and would do anything to help. Yeah, I'm totally with you. And I feel like it's so especially when you're young, like it's so even when you're old, because people aren't educated enough on this. And I'm so happy Georgie touched on it. It's so easy to like avoid having that conversation because you don't know how to touch it or like you don't know how to go there um but yeah just something as simple as like saying like hey you look like you might be uncomfortable would you like to share like and just leaving it open-ended and not saying like oh my gosh like i've had people in the past like i had people come to me and say like hey you're really skinny like are you okay <laughs> like yeah that does yeah. nothing like don't do that um and to me going through an eating disorder i was like oh great like you know i look really skinny like don't do that <laughs> so um yeah i'm with you and i think georgie uh just she's so knowledgeable the fact that she was able to just talk so effortlessly on all of these topics that i know so many people have questions about was just really really cool so yeah if you made it this far and you want to just follow georgie or sarah on instagram twitter um, we will leave their social media handles in today's show notes so be sure to check there for that Yes. Um, we'll link them. And, you know, like they said, feel free to message them. Uh, but yeah, well, Taylor, I know we'll be talking, uh, but for all of our listeners, you guys have a great Thanksgiving. Um, mm. Stay safe. Uh, wear your mask. Check in, on some friends. <laughs> yes. uh, check in on some friends and family this week. You know, I challenge everyone to send, send a few texts out um, just to people because, you know, it can be a really lonely time right now with with traveling and, and whatnot. Um, are, are you guys just staying staying in D.C. this week, Taylor? Yeah, we're staying in D.C., but I will be running the 5K on uh, Woo, we got our shirts today. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, you already you were taking pictures of them, right? Yes. Yeah. So if you don't know what we're talking about, check out our 5K shirts on on our website. We'll link that to um, Taylor and I yeah. are doing a little virtual 5K to have our own little tradition, even though we're not sharing it with our uh, friends and family this year. Yep. And we're raising awareness about women athletes, mental health. So it's free to do. Um, obviously, if you buy a t-shirt, well, that's not free, but hey, yeah, feel free to do it. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, well, we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. We already received our first little monthly donor to our podcast. It's really helpful, really helps us, you know, be able to do this for you guys full time. So thank you so much to that donor. You know who you are. Um, and yeah, we will talk with you guys next Tuesday. Bye guys. Bye.